0: Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood, and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood. Come at you again with story time. And I've been sitting here for the last couple minutes because I've noticed every time I do these videos, like watching back on it, it's like my left shoulder ends up being cockeyed compared to my right. And I'm like, why is my shoulders all jacked up i can't quite figure it out so i've been sitting here the last couple minutes like get it right get them even it looks stupid then i've come to realize it's just the nature of this desk it's got a curving little place where you can sit in and so when you rest your arms on it the one arm rests further back than the other like this elbow is dangling in space and this elbow is on a solid surface and so now it's No matter what I do, I guess unless I'm super forward like this, but even unless I'm super forward like this, it's uh, just a weird jacked up kind of look. But hey, those of you who are listening to the podcast don't care about that, so nah, whatever. Um, It's been bothering me the last couple minutes. Anyway, yeah, so it's been a... How's the week been here at the Kingswood Abode? Uh, It's been fairly mundane, yet hectic. Doing all the same stuff that we usually do, but yet it's been feeling like I've been running around with, you know, no time all week. And little sleep, even though I haven't really done much more and much differently than I normally do. It's just been weird. Anyway, neither here nor there. You're not here to listen to me gripe. You're here to listen to stories, and we're continuing on with Gloomer Vale. So when last we left, well, the bad guys, what's left of them, and there are quite a few of them left, came to the gates of Lydleton, and Raging and Julian and company have the barricades set and we're fighting, and of course the bad guys have a mage and they. Doing his magey things, and melie has been doing her magey things, and uh, the melee has gotten pretty hot and heavy. And we'll just take it from there. I'll talk to you after these next couple chapters.
1: Enjoy! Chapter 27. Spellcraft. Julian turned back around to find the other brigands down. Raedric and Salam stood nearby, their curved blades red with the blood of many foes. Before them, only Eisenhoff stood. His pale face was streaked with blood from a cut over his left temple. It made a nice counterpoint to his other scar, really. He no longer wore his mocking expression. In fact, his eyes danced from radric to Salam to Julian nervously. But he did not back down or lower his sword. The offer still stands, Theobald, radric said across the intervening distance between them. Right away now, and we will not follow. You've lost a lot of men today, but you don't have to die as well. Eisenhoff chuckled. (laughs) I have not played all my cards, Ballotier. He cocked his head to the side and shouted, Laurent! From off to the side, a deep, raspy voice replied, Here, Fazzle! Julian turned his head and saw the new speaker. He instantly recognized him, the mage. The mage stepped from behind a jutting balcony that would have hidden him from the archer's lines of fire. With him were three more brigands. Two of them were dragging a man with a bag over his head between them. The small group walked over to Eisenhoff's position and took up station just behind him. He smirked again and said, Lower your arms, or he dies. The brigand with his hands free reached out and pulled the bag from atop the prisoner's head. Julian already knew who it was, but all the same his heart sank to see Constable Mallory in that condition. He had obviously been beaten repeatedly; his nose was broken in more than one place; both his eyes were black; his cheeks were swollen, and he was bruised all over. It took a moment to recognise him, in truth. But his eyes-his eyes were fearful, tight with pain; yet Julian saw a hint of iron within them that he never thought to see, an unwillingness to yield from the look in his eyes mallory seemed a totally different man than the constable julian had known stronger somehow which was exactly the opposite of what julian would have expected considering the torture he had endured at eisenhoff's hand looking back at radrick julian could tell that his friend was wavering and he fully understood killing in battle or for justice was one thing but for all his faults mallory was a good man and did not deserve this julian could hear the thoughts going through radrick's head because they were going through his as well. How could I live with myself if I caused his death? But it all came down to numbers. Sometimes you did not risk those twenty men to save the one who was most likely dead already. And sometimes you don't sacrifice the well-being of hundreds in a town for one you happen to know personally. Julian opened his mouth to tell Radric this, but was surprised when Mallory beat him to it. Don't do it, Mallory called. He'll kill me anyway. And then all of you! (coughs) His words ended in a pained grunt and a fit of coughing as the brigand who had removed the bag punched him in the belly. What's it going to be, Ballatier? Eisenhoff saw Radric's hesitation, and that mocking smile returned to his face. Radric looked at Julian. He could see the conflict in his friend's eyes. Slowly, Radric lowered his saber to his side and bent his knees. He was going to do it. No! shouted Mallory, who had regained his breath. With a sudden jerk, he pulled his left arm free of the brigand on that side, then elbowed the man in the face. The brigand stumbled backwards, his hands grasping at his jaw where Mallory's elbow impacted. The constable followed up with a roundhouse punch that caught the brigand who held his right arm in the nose. Even from where he stood, Julian heard the snap of breaking bone as that man also stumbled away. Mallory righted himself. And buckled over as the third brigand struck him again, this time in the chest. But unlike the last blow, he used a knife, not his fist. Mallory coughed, and a spray of blood flew from his mouth. His expression was one of disbelief as he fell to the ground, clutching at the wound that Julian knew would kill him in moments. Raedrick halted midway to the ground. His eyes grew wide in outrage, and, as Mallory fell to the ground, a guttural roar issued from his lips. He heaved himself upwards and forward, toward Eisenhop a murderous grimace on his face. Melanie stepped through the gap in the barricade in time to see Constable Mallory fall from the blow to his chest. She felt the sting of his wound as though it were her own. It made no difference that she hardly knew the man and thought him an incompetent fool. As Radric, Julian, and Salam surged into action, the mage on Farzel's side began chanting a spell that Melanie recognized. It could freeze their muscles in place if he got the spell off, leaving them wide open to their foes. Without stopping to check her spellbook, Melanie immediately began the chant that she had used to protect the archery platform. The fact that she had not been successful in her attempt at protection never entered her mind. Salam leapt to the side to avoid the thief's thrust. This was the first of the bunch who actually knew what he was doing. He and Salam had made two passes against each other, and each bore cuts as remembrances of the exchange. He landed square on his feet and spun to face his foe. The thief was slightly off balance the thrust having taken him farther than he probably expected when it did not meet Salam's flesh he was wide open for the kill but Salam stepped back a pace out of courtesy such a skilled foe should not be done in by a blow to the back to his right julian cut down another of the thieves but received a cut to the meat of his shoulder from a second before he could spin out of the way further over radric and the lead thief faced off radric's dance was a beauty to behold His foe was his equal in grace, if not in cunning. But the lead thief's greater strength seemed to be making up the difference. Had he the leisure, theirs was a duel Salam would very much have enjoyed watching. But his foe had regained his equilibrium and demanded his attention. The thief stepped to his right, circling cautiously as his eyes locked onto Salam's intently. Salam circled in the opposite direction, his easy movement on the balls of his feet keeping pace with the thief without difficulty. It felt as though they circled each other for a long time, though Salam knew it had only been a few heartbeats. He was in no hurry to assume the offensive, though. He had taken the initiative on the first pass and nearly taken a mortal blow because of his miscalculation. He would not make that same mistake again. Not against this man. The pain of the cut to his shoulder flared counterpoint to the ever-increasing ache in Julian's thigh. He backpedaled, evading a sweeping cut from his opponent by sheer speed of motion, and settled into a ready stance. He tried to flourish his sword, but could not do it properly with the wound to his shoulder. So, as his foe advanced again, Julian switched his sword to a left-handed grip and advanced to meet him with a cut from left to right. His left was not his preferred hand, but he had practiced fighting with it for just such an occasion. The brigands' eyes widened in surprise as Julian's cut came from the opposite angle he was expecting, and it was his turn to backpedal. But he was not as quick as Julian. He escaped the attack, but his studded leather breastplate was cut clean through from nipple to nipple. The brigand staggered back a half step, and Julian was gratified to see a slow seep of blood begin to ooze through the cut to the breastplate. Julian grinned and flourished his blade, easing back into a stylized stance, with his weight entirely on his right foot, his left only touching the ground with its toe, his sword parallel to the ground pointing at the brigand's throat, his right hand above his head. The brigand swallowed and recovered himself, his movements a bit more ginger as he no doubt began to feel the stinging from his chest. Julian winked at him. At first, Melanie was amused by the expression of shock on the other mage's face when his spell encountered her protective charm, and he looked around to find her the only person not engaged in hand-to-hand combat. The notion that a woman had been the one to thwart him all this time was no doubt doubly infuriating. But his shock quickly turned to fury, and he turned his full attention to her. Chanting an incantation that would stop her heart in her chest, he flung his hands out wide, casting a quantity of sulfur in her direction. Desperation lent her swiftness as she shifted the focus of her protective chant from the men to herself. All the same, her chest constricted and she literally felt her heart skip a beat before the charm took effect. It was as though the weight of a dozen horses had been lifted from her chest. She breathed inward, feeling like it was the first breath she had ever taken. But there was no time to rest. The other mage snarled and began chanting again. This chant was more complex, but she managed to beat him to the punch with a quick incantation of force which knocked him onto his backside. He yelped, his incantation ruined, and clambered to his feet. His face was a mask of fury as he began chanting again. Salam felt satisfaction tinged with a shade of regret as his sword rose above his opponent's defenses and lifted his head from his shoulders. The thief's torso stumbled forward, completing the half-step he had begun before his death, then tumbled to the ground, spewing a small geyser of blood from the wound. Salam stepped back, avoiding the body's fall, and bowed his head for a moment. He said a silent prayer for the dead thief's soul. He may not have been a man of honor, but his skill deserved a mention to the gods maybe they would lessen his punishment in recognition of his ability. It was a small thing to hope for, but the notion of an artist like him languishing in never-ending torment caused Salam heartache for a moment. The moment passed in the time it took for him to raise his head again and survey the field. He saw Julian's foe fall beneath his blade, but Julian looked worn, battered. He limped towards Salam, and he was bleeding profusely from his shoulder. He would not be useful in battle for much longer, but his eyes were alight with the heat of bloodlust. He would drive himself to his death if he was not careful, and no wonder. Salam turned to follow Julian's gaze and was once again entranced by the duel between Radric and Farzel. The two danced as smoothly as if they were a couple on the ballroom floor. Each thrust, cut, and parry was met precisely by the exact counter from the other, as neither was able to make any headway. Julian reached Salam's side and moved as though he intended to come to his friend's assistance. Salam reached out and grabbed Julian's arm, arresting his movement. The young swordsman turned to look at Salam in confusion and anger. Let go of me, Salam. He said in a low, dangerous tone. Salam shook his head. This contest is for Raedric to win or lose on his own. You will dishonor him if you interfere now. One of Julian's eyebrows rose in confusion, and he pulled away from Salam's grasp. He took a step forward, then stopped as he truly saw the duel for what it was. He slowly nodded and stood still to watch the drama unfold as the gods intended. Chapter 28. Showdown. There was no way Julian was going to be able to assist Radric against Eisenhoff, not without putting himself or his friend in greater danger. The two of them were too closely entwined, the duel too dynamic. He could step in and stab at Eisenhoff only to find Radric in the way of his sword before the blow fell. So he stayed out of it, as Salam advised. He had always been impressed with Radric's skill with the blade, but he had never seen Eisenhoff duel before. Silently thanking the gods that it was not himself having to face their former comrade, Julian had to admit the other reason he did not step in to help. He knew just from watching that he was no match for Eisenhoff. He would fall before him within a single pass. A concussion to the left drew his attention away. He felt as though he had been poleaxed when he saw what was happening over there. Melanie and the mage stood about twenty feet apart, both chanting and executing the hand and body gestures of their art as rapidly as possible, to impressive effect. The source of the concussion that drew his attention was unclear, but a large plume of smoke rose from the ground not far from Melanie's feet. Her eyes were wide with relief, he thought. But she chanted on resolutely. He glanced aside at Salam and saw that he was looking at the mage's duel now as well. You don't object to helping her, do you? Julian asked, with no intention of not helping whatever Salam said. As he finished the question, Melanie completed her chant and a ball of fire streaked across the distance between her and the brigand mage. It exploded upon reaching him, and for a moment Julian thought maybe she did not need his help after all. But very quickly it became clear that while the fireball had engulfed the area around him, the mage himself was untouched. Sneering, the mage finished his own chant and made a flickering gesture of his own. The grass between him and Melanie bent over, blown by a fierce gust of wind. Her eyes went even wider as the gust struck her, and she flew back against the wall of the building nearby. The wind left her lungs in a loud grunt of pain, and she slumped to the ground. "'I do not object,' Salam said as the swarthy swordsman set off running toward the brigand mage. Julian ran as hard as he could, slowly passing Salam toward the mage as he willed his aching thigh to cooperate for just a few minutes more. The magic-wielding thief stalked toward Mistress Clemens, a fiendishly delighted look in his eyes as he beheld her prone form. Salam did not hold much with the magical arts, by and large. They were a diversion for men who lacked the strength, skill, and courage to face other men without prejudicial advantage. He recognized that magic had its occasional useful qualities. Today's gambit with the archery platforms was one such bit of brilliance. Perhaps not completely honorable, but then neither was archery itself. But when faced with overwhelming odds, there is no dishonor in trying to level the playing field. All the same, useful things are not always things to be treasured or held close. So it was with magic users, by and large. But then there was Mistress Clemens herself. Beneath the cold and detached veneer she wore, Salam believed her to be among the most virtuous women he had met. It would not do to have the likes of her despoiled by a man such as this. Melanie lay on the ground, aching all over, and struggled to regain her breath. She knew the brigand mage would take advantage of her helplessness and tried to will herself to her feet. But her limbs would not respond for a long moment. Finally, she managed to draw a deep breath and force herself to her knees. Looking up, her heart sank. The brigand mage stood a few paces away, looking down at her with contempt. You dare to challenge me, girl? He spat the last word almost as a curse, his tone conveying all of the contempt for her gender that had been brewing within the magisterium for centuries. He flicked his fingers, and Melanie felt a force grasp her by the throat, force her to her feet, and pin her against the wall. Grinning sadistically, he closed his hand slightly and she felt the force tighten around her neck, constricting her airway. She could hardly breathe. The brigand's expression became more amused as he watched her struggle.
0: Where did you
1: get? A body crashed into the brigand, knocking him to the ground in a tangle of arms and legs. Shocked, Melanie recognized Julian's profile, and for a moment she felt relief. Then Julian cried out in surprise and pain, and he launched up into the air. For a second he seemed to hang there, about ten feet up, Then he crashed back down to the ground and lay still. No. She tried to force herself away from the wall, but the force held her fast. Its grip had lessened when the brigand fell, but not enough to break free. She managed to draw a deep breath, though, and began chanting, desperately hoping she remembered the words to the counterspell incantation correctly. The magic-wielding thief stood up and brushed himself off. He looked a bit disheveled, but otherwise none the worse for wear from Julian's uncoordinated attack. Salam shook his head in chagrin at the man's foolishness. Stab or cut, do not tackle. The moment of surprise was lost, and Salam was sure the magic user would not be caught unawares again. Sure enough, the thief stopped abruptly, his eyes narrowing as he beheld Salam, who stopped in his tracks. For a moment the two men stared each other in the eye. The thief looked tired, and though he put on an air of confidence, he was afraid. Men always have a certain shadow in their eyes when fear had a grip on their souls. When that happened, dishonorable men could easily be induced to flee. There were many ways to accomplish that with a swordsman. But Salam had never tried to spook a magic user before. Melanie watched as Salam advanced slowly toward the brigand mage. For a moment, she ceased her struggling against the force that held her fast, the sheer grace and economy of movement in his combat stride drawing her whole attention. He was not much to look at normally, but in this circumstance, he was in his natural element here on the battlefield with his sword in his hands. That was obvious in the way he moved, despite herself in that moment. Melanie couldn't help but think he was beautiful, but that might just be because he was coming to her aid. She shook herself and was surprised and relieved to find she had continued the counterspell chant while her mind wandered. Timon's hard discipline while he taught her was paying off it seemed. The chant was nearing its climax, and she would need the component soon. An ounce of wolfsbane and a sprinkle of copper powder. Blessing Timon's instruction to always have a hidden backup silently in her mind as she continued the chant, she shook her left arm vigorously, or as vigorously as she could in her constrained state, and a pouch that had been tucked up within her sleeve dropped into her hand. That pouch contained the component she needed. She had put it there on Timon's advice, given so many months ago. She managed a smile as she continued chanting. The magic-using thief backed away as Salam advanced. Fear showed more plainly in his expression. He was almost ready to break. Then the thief surprised him. He made a raising gesture with his hands, and from the ground around him several arrows and a pair of spears lifted up into the air. Stopping at waist level, the missiles all turned to point at Salam. The thief smiled, a sadistic grin of triumph. Then, with a flick of his fingers, the first of the missiles hurtled forward. Melanie's heart sank. Though she chanted as quickly as she could, there was too much of the counterspell incantation remaining for her to stop the brigand mage. His incantation was complete, and so long as he maintained his concentration, he would be able to do as he willed with force. She was actually halfway surprised he didn't just bind Salam as he had done her. He must be nearing his limit. Not that it mattered. Arrows and spears would be more than enough. Salam was doomed. The arrow streaked towards him, and Melanie cringed inwardly. Then she nearly lost her place in the incantation from shock as Salam, with a seemingly minuscule flick of his sword, knocked the arrow off course. It passed him harmlessly by, and he continued to advance. How did he do that? She had never heard of such a thing. A glance at the other mage showed he was just as shocked as she. The brigand mage backed away a half-step and, with a flicking gesture of his hand, launched another arrow toward Salam. But he spun away at the last second, with only a tear in his sleeve to show for it. Another arrow, then another, and another. Salam avoided them all, receiving only minor scrapes and cuts. Melanie had never seen such grace. Still he advanced, and still the mage retreated and circled to his left to keep as much distance from Salam as he could. The last of the arrows spent, the mage flung his first spear at Salam at the same moment Melanie completed her incantation. Clenching her fist in time with the final word, she felt the wolf's mane and copper grind together as the final syllable left her lips. A puff of smoke announced the component's destruction, and Melanie stumbled forward as the force that had been pinning her to the wall abruptly disappeared. She immediately began a new incantation, reaching into her cloak for components. The brigand mage recoiled as though smacked, and the spear that had been heading towards Salam veered off course, sailing far away from the swordsman. Eyes wide in sudden fright, the mage screamed. BITCH! and made a pushing gesture with both hands. The second spear, which had been hanging in the air pointing at Salam, turned and streaked towards Melanie. Her incantation forgotten as her throat clenched, she found herself frozen in place, unable to move as she watched death approach. She could not even manage a scream. An unexpected blow from the side sent her tumbling to the ground, a heavy weight upon her. Salam grunted at the impact as well, his eyes going wide for a moment. Then he rolled off her. She gasped as she saw the spear protruding from his side. His breath came in short, rasping pants, and he clutched at the shaft of the spear. Melanie had no chance to assist him, though. A great force took hold of her by the throat again and lifted her to her feet. The mage. She tried to begin her incantation again, but when she opened her mouth, the force pinned her arms to her sides and forced her jaws apart. Sparing only the briefest of glances at Salam, the brigand mage stalked towards her. "'No one left to save you now, girl,' he said. Looking over his shoulder, Melanie saw Julian stirring. Though she was relieved to see him alive, he was obviously not going to be useful anytime soon. Over to the right, Raedric and Farzel remained locked in their duel. Both men now bled from wounds, Raedric on his upper left arm, Farzel on his right hip, but neither seemed to notice what was happening with her. Melanie looked around frantically. "'Where was everyone else?' Surely one of the archers or some of the other townsfolk would come. But there was no one else. The mage was right. She was on her own, and helpless. You will tell me who betrayed our secrets to you, said the mage. Standing directly in front of her, his breath was hot on her face and unpleasant. She instinctively tried to recoil, but was held fast by the force of his spell. Tell me sooner, and you will suffer less. Delay! His lips twisted into a sneer, and he looked her up and down. Then he licked his lips, and Melanie had no doubt what he intended to do to her. The mage traced the edge of her jaw with his index finger. Helpless to move away, Melanie cringed inwardly and tried to think of a way to escape. If she could only move her arms, the knife she kept up her right sleeve could. Unexpectedly, the force holding her jaws apart disappeared. Shutting her mouth quickly, she moved her jaw from side to side, feeling grateful in spite of herself at the relief. Talk, girl. Let's end this quickly. Melanie swallowed the saliva that had been pooling in her mouth and cleared her throat. He's dead, she replied. It was the simple truth, but she knew it would get her nowhere. The mage sniffed. Don't take me for a fool. Melanie glanced over his shoulder and her spirits buoyed to see Farzal fall. Hamstrung by a low cut from Radric's saber, your boss is about to die. The mage's eyes widened, and he looked back at the dueling men. Radric stepped toward the fallen Farzel and raised his saber for the killing blow. The mage cursed and extended a grasping hand toward him, and Radric froze in place. Radric's eyes widened in surprise, and he glanced around, seeing the mage and Melanie. His face dropped in recognition of what was happening. On the ground before him, Farzel went from cringing in anticipation of Radric's blow to grinning in victory. Melanie's spirits, so recently buoyed, sank like a stone. A sob welled up, and though she tried to suppress it, she nevertheless felt tears stream down her cheeks. It was not until she wiped the tears away that she realized that her arms were free. The brigand mage must have decided she was incapable of doing him any harm, as close as he was. He could stop the incantation she tried well before it could be completed. The fool disregarded what she could do with her hands when he used the energy he needed to trap her arms, to trap Raedric instead. Knowing with certainty that he never would have disregarded a man so, Melanie felt more than a little satisfied as she shook her knife from its sheath in her sleeve and into her right hand, then plunged it into the side of the mage's neck.
0: Man, I really, really hated doing that. It's a salaam. Cause man, I love that guy. I, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like he's yeah, a character that I never envisioned when I was writing this. Uh, I had Ray Dick and Julian. In fact, the the inter- <laughs> interestingly enough, the scene with uh, where Julian meets Melanie in the bar. When I first came up with the uh, concept of the book Glimmer Vale*, <laughs> that scene was one of the first scenes that popped into my head. It's like, hey. I'm suave yeah you might think you are but I'm a mage piss off <laughs> that's just how it works anyway the um, uh, Salam came along later I kind of out of nowhere because uh, I don't you know some guys will go and writers will go and say yeah I plot the whole novel out and I've got an outline and I go with it and that's not me when I start something I uh, concept and a lot of time i have a notion of where it's going to end uh but the in between i don't really know so i just kind of go with it and Slom came out of nowhere i was like oh yeah yeah, they've kind of got to need somebody to teach them the other recruits the sword and, and yeah a foreigner who's kind of good with the blade hey this guy's pretty cool and Yeah, but he was sort of secondary and then the battle started and he was like, yes, then he turned into the, the honorable master swordsman that he became here in this fight and it came down to it and I was like, I don't want to stick him with that spear because he's awesome and I want to keep him around, but I couldn't, but you know, it's one of those things where I was like, I wrote it and then after the fact, I was like, no, I can't do that because he's too great. He's too awesome. And I'm sure there's a way I could have done that scene with Melanie so that, you know, she lived and he lived. I mean, okay, he's not technically dead yet, but I think you can figure out that he's going to die here in the next little bit. Spoiler alert. Um, but there's... that I was In the end, I came down to, like, you know, that's cheating. And this is how the story went. This is what the characters did. And I got to go with it. Which is a kind of a goofy, weird writer thing. And if you are not, never written a story, never written a book, you won't really understand it. It's like sometimes you're writing. You know who this character is. You know who this character is. And this other character. And you're just writing it. And here's what they do. 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 And the holy cow. What the hell just happened? I never thought that was going to go down. And it's just because you're in the zone with the characters. And... Boom! There it is. Um, so I didn't want Salon to die. But he's gonna. That said, as much as I like this, these last couple scenes of the battle, as much as I like what's going on, I do have to concede that I kind of, yeah, pulled a couple of, well, was with Melanie in particular, I kind of deus ex knockin' that in a bit. I, really going into the battle, when, at the very beginning, I should have gone with the hey, yes, she's running to to the to the platforms and she's doing her thing and her point of view spot that she had there when she was doing the incantations for the thing I should have mentioned had how she was ready for battle, so she had her spare components, and she had her spare dagger, and all these other things, as opposed to pulling it out at the last minute. That kind of feels, now that I'm looking back on it, that feels a little bit like, yeah, well, isn't that convenient? Yeah, what the hell? You brought her into a corner, and she's going to die, and you didn't want her to, so she had a magical escape. And, okay, yeah, I kind of, yeah, looking back on it, I did, kind of amateur that out a bit still I like it of course I like it it's my story but still I I like the uh how it ended up and hopefully you did too the I think this uh particular fight sequence has been kind of fun maybe you do maybe you don't let me know And then go buy the book because you've been listening to it all this time and shame on you for not paying the author. (laughs) You can buy it at uh, Amazon and every place where books are and get the audiobook everywhere the audiobooks are. But the best place to get it is from my website, ssnstorytelling.com. You can find all my stuff there and I get the maximum profit from going there. But even if you don't want to do that... You know, help a brother out by sharing the fact that you like these stories and you like this podcast and you like what do I've been doing here. You know, and then come to the website, michaelkingswood.com, and send me an email saying hi. Go to the podcast site or the YouTube site or the BitChute site or any of the other video sites that are out there and leave a comment. Tell other people about it. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, I got into the sales pitch right off the bat. I know it was a bad transition. Please forgive me. Uh, So, yeah, uh, we only have two more chapters left in this. Because this ended up chapter 28, 30 chapters total. And then we got to figure out what we're going to do for the rest of the podcast. The fun thing about the podcast is, uh, hey, this is episode 52. You know what that means been doing this consistently for a full year which to be honest with you I wasn't certain I would actually be able to do not because I didn't have enough material I got many more books after this that I can read and share with y'all or like with Glimmer Vale hire somebody to read to share with y'all but um it's more like you know you, you know how your schedule is and Life is, and you're thinking, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna start this, and I intend to do it, but I'm not sure if I'll really be able to because of, you know, life. Well, hey, what can I say? Been there, got it done for a year. Hopefully, we'll be around for another two, three, four, six, ten, twenty. Hopefully, you guys will stick with us for that too. Anyway, um, thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, until next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you. Only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.